part of 1 Samuel 21, David is running for his life. He runs to Ahimelech, who's the priest, and him and his men are so hungry. He's like, do you have any food? And the priest is like, the only food that we have here is the holy bread that's consecrated for the Lord. And David says, give it to me. And they eat. And he goes, do you have any weapons? And he goes, the only thing, what weapon that we have here is the sword that belonged to Goliath from Gath, the man that you killed. And David's like, give it to me. And in fleeing from Saul, he ends up in Gath, where the king of Achish is there. So it's, 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 I just find these things funny. Like the giant that he killed, his sword happens to be at the place that he goes and he has on him when he, and the king there, Achish, um, hears that David is there. And they're like, isn't this the man that they sang the song, Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands? And when word gets out that David is there and he's this mighty warrior, David actually becomes fearful so much to the point to where he then be, decides that he's going to act crazy so that they get rid of him and, and kick him out of Gath, and then he continues his, his run. The thing that I find interesting and in which this psalm shows us is that David is always mindful of the presence of God in his life. Like he doesn't, it, we'll read through the psalm here, but he doesn't attribute his deliverance and being his life spared from the king of um, Gath, Achish, due to his own cleverness, due to his, due to his own planning, like, he's mindful of the fact that the reason that he's alive and he's been delivered is because God has been in his life and has chosen to deliver him. And I always find it fascinating that when you read through, especially the Psalms, in many of these stories, how real and present God is to the people that are involved. And I wonder, and I ask myself the question, do we think that way about God as well? Do you think of God as being that near, that present, that involved in your life? Because we should. And that's one of the things I think that we learn from David here. He attributes his help and his deliverance from God alone. He's aware that God is the one that has delivered him. It wasn't due to his own planning. And then he regularly expresses his mindfulness, his awareness of God's presence and working in his life. Um, he does it through song. But, and I think of all the ways that like we can do that. And, whether, and, and I ask myself the question, do I regularly express my appreciation and my awareness of the working of God in my life? Not in some like, I'm not talking about in general and vague ways. I'm talking about in very specific, clear, intangible ways that when things happen, you attribute it to God. Not your own doing, not your own cleverness, not your own planning, not your own wisdom. Like things come about because God brings them about. Do I, you know, I want us to like really rest in on that and think about that. You consider how near God is. I was talking about one of my brothers earlier this today about this. David Pallison has a quote, and he says, and he says that God is man's environment. And do you really consider that it doesn't matter if you're here or if you're home or you're at your place of work 
or you're on an airplane going somewhere, or you're driving down the road, or you're in the grocery store, God is your environment. His hand, his nearness is always around. And, and everything that we do in some ways, in many ways, is, is, a, is an interaction with God. And that's one of the things that the psalm here points out. So we've read the context. I want to read through Psalm 34. And we want to see how David responds to God's just really wonderful deliverance in his life. So Psalm 34 of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And, and Abimelech is oftentimes a title that they would just give to the kings of the Philistines. So Achish would be his name. Abimelech could be a title that Achish had. Uh, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to, look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, having the context of when this was written, David running for his life from Saul, having his life spared by God already up to that point, the fact that the king of a nation and all of the resources that he had couldn't catch David is like miraculous in and of itself. You see how God sovereignly preserved and spared David's life. But then also on top of that, he goes and he runs to the camp of his enemies and the Lord preserves him and delivers him from death there as well. And then he continues on the run. And the story of David is one where he continues to trust in the Lord. And he's always, always mindful of God's presence. Always mindful of God's deliverance. Always mindful of what God is doing in his life. And then he writes this psalm of just this, this really this song of rejoicing. Of what God has done for him and how God has preserved him. And how God has delivered him. And I'll be honest with you, like, for the Christian, like, this should be our song because we have this type of deliverance. 
you, if you, you will see it, but as you read through this psalm, the deliverance and the salvation that he speaks, speaks of is complete, it's total. You'll see how the Lord delivers him from all his fears, all his troubles, all his troubles. I mean, that for the believer, we know that ultimately that is true, that God has delivered us from every fear we, we should ever have or could ever have from all of our, from all of our troubles simply by the fact that our lives are hidden in Christ. He has practiced an ultimate act of deliverance, and so we can sing this song. Um, I want us to notice a few things from it. Verses one through three, uh, he is blessing God and worshiping God, and it has its source in his deliverance. As David often does with many of the Psalms, the first few verses kind of set up this, ex, this exclamation of where the rest of the psalm is going to be taking us. And so he says in verses 1 through 3, he just starts off, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He's individually, he's just saying, I'm always going to be singing. And again, as Christians, like, we always have a song to sing. Regardless of the season of life and what's going on, we should be able to say, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then you'll notice in verse 3 how it turns from individual to corporate. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've been you know, really fearful of something, really in prayer about something, really pleading with the Lord that he would do something. And then when he answers that prayer with the yes or the affirmative, your praise goes, I mean, your praise first stops, starts off as being like individual and private, right? Like you're just like, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Praise your name. And then it quickly goes to like everybody should be praising the Lord for how good he has been. Our individual love and praise for him so easily and quickly overflows, and it's like gathering everybody together. Come on, let's sing to the Lord for how good he has been to us. And that really should be the heartbeat of every time the Lord's people gather together for worship. Every single one of us should be saying, verse 3, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Like there is no name like his name we should want to sing unto his name. And when we gather together, we should want to exalt his name together. The corporate song should be, let's sing and worship God together unto his name for what he's done for us and how good he has been to us. And you see in verses 4 through 7 that it just becomes this beaming joy because of the total deliverance that God has brought into his life. Like, I sought the Lord and he answered me. That in and of itself should just cause you to stop and think. Like, I asked, I stopped, I prayed, I asked the Lord, and he actually heard me and, like, responded. This is God we're talking about. This is God, the infinite, eternal, unchanging, divine God. You prayed and he heard. That in and of itself should be reason for praise. I sought the Lord and he answered me and 
delivered me from all my fears. He not only heard my cry for deliverance, he actually delivered me. It's a, it's a wonder that God delivers us from our sin and our depravity. And, and he does. And those who look to him are radiant. That word radiant is like it's a, it's a sparkling cheerfulness. The, face, the faces of those who have been delivered should shine. You ever see someone who's just like something has happened or occurred in their life and they're just beaming with joy? Like you can see it in their eyes. You can see it on their face. Their faces are radiant. Like that should be the face of every single Christian. The face of every single, single Christian should be one where it's radiant. It's beaming with a sparkling cheer because of the deliverance that we have in Christ. Come what may in this life, our lives, our salvation is secure in him. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then there's two invitations. We see one of them in verses 8 through 10. The first invitation is to come to God and to receive all supply of good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's like, he's praising the Lord individually, and then he calls corporately, let's come on, with all of us, let's praise the Lord, because he's heard my cry, he's answered me, and then the invitation is, I want you to taste and see the goodness of God. I mean, is you really have, you really personally have to be convinced of the goodness of God if you're going to be, if you're going to ask others to come and taste and see how good he is as well. Like if you go to a restaurant and you get a really, like a dish that tastes really bad, you're not like, oh, you got to taste this. It's only when you get a, a, real, a dish that's really good, you're like, oh, this is good. Like you got to try some of this. And we should be like that with God. We should, we should taste of his goodness so clearly, so intimately every day that what comes out of, out of our mouth to those who are around us is you've got to come and taste and see the goodness of God. There's no goodness like God's goodness. There's nothing that compares with the goodness and the loving kindness of our God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him and have no lack. Again, he's building up this come and taste and see because of how satisfying God is. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The second invitation is in verses 11 through 14, where the invitation is to come and see and how to live. Come, O children, listen to me. I will te teach you the fear of the Lord. And then the question is this in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? The question is, is who among you wants to have a life full of days that you enjoy and are good days? Everybody wants a life like that. Everybody wants to have a life that's full of long and good days. This is quoted in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, and Peter uses it the same way. Who would like to see a long and good life? This is how that person lives. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The man who desires life 
loves many days and wants to see good days is the man who keeps his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, turns away from evil and does good and seeks peace and pursues it. The man who ultimately loves the life that he's been given in deliverance is a man who looks towards, towards the good and towards peace and repudiates evil, hates evil, because you see that your deliverance has been given to you by the one who is good and righteous and holy and perfect, and you disdain anything that is not like him, anything that would be in competition with him, evilness and wickedness. The one who's been delivered by the goodness of God should want to have no part. I don't want any part of that. That is what God delivered me from. I don't want to go back to the pit. I don't want to go back to the gutter. That's where, the, where, that's where I came from. I don't want to go back there. After you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, why would I go back to that, to the trash? And then he talks about how in verses 15 through 18, the goodness of God towards his children, really like the favor of God. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. I mean, you see how completely and wholly God is against wickedness, to cut them off, to cut, there's going to come a day where the, the name and the presence and the stench of evil and wickedness is completely removed from the earth. The righteous cry for help the Lord hears, but delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see the way that he describes the favor of God towards his, his people. That God is for his children. And then the last four verses, 19, 19 through 22, are really a foreshadowing of deliverance that comes ultimately in Christ, real and true deliverance. We know this to be true because verse 20 is quoted in John 19, 36 as applying to Jesus. He keeps all his bones, not one of them was broken. Many are the, uh, the afflictions of the righteous. What's interesting is that the right, this is all, the righteous is singular. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, not like righteous people, but the righteous one. It's singular. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him. Who's the righteous one that's delivered, whose bones are not, not one of his bones are broken? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a foreshadowing of what, where real deliverance and where real salvation and redemption come from. Affliction will slay the wicked. Again, wicked there is singular, talking about the wicked one. And those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and now there's plural. There's a salvation for the righteous, the individual one whose bones are never broken. And then also that salvation is for his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There's this great and wonderful foreshadowing of where true deliverance and righteousness comes in the person and the work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. David experiences it in a very wonderful and practical and tangible way, and so do we. We experience the favor and the mercy of God in very wonderful and practical and tangible ways in our lives, sometimes in certain moments in very great degrees, and very often in every day in lesser degrees, which we're probably completely like not even aware of. But he speaks of a greater deliverance and a salvation that's to come in Christ. And we look back on this psalm, and we look back on this psalm knowing who that one is. And all of that joy, all of that, those reasons for worship that David had because God delivered him from Saul and from Achish, we have to a greater degree because we've been delivered from Satan and from the penalty of sin and death and darkness. And so our, so our joy should soar and our faces should beam with radiance even more so because we're mindful of where the true deliverance and salvation comes in Christ for us in the penalty of our sin. Salvation with joy that is centered upon Christ in everyday circumstances and life. David lived his life with the mindfulness of the nearness and the presence of God. We should live our lives with the mindful of mindfulness of the nearness and the presence of God in our lives because we are in Christ. And we have even more reason to worship and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, Psalm 34. And you think of David, like he was so gifted to be able to write songs that communicated his heart of gratitude for his salvation. And we may not be able to write songs but we can certainly offer prayers that reflect the same gratitude. We can certainly have conversations with one another that reflect that same gratitude. And so I pray that we would. We can certainly sing songs that were written by others that were gifted to do so with thankfulness, gratitude as well, Lord. And so I pray that uh, you would help us to do that too. Help us, Lord, to be people that are said to have our faces radiant because of the joy that we have in the deliverance that's been given to us in Christ and delivered us from all our fears, all our troubles. There's coming a day, Lord, when that promise becomes a reality and it's all wiped away and completely gone. We look forward to that day. But we sing unto you and we hold on to our hope in the meantime, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.